0: Ephesians chapter 6. Now, we're talking about, of course, the Christian home. This is number 11 in a series, and we're sort of on the wind down now. We began with what the home is and the key players in the home, the father and his role, the wife, the woman, her role, duties, responsibilities. We spoke last time about children, about how they come to play in the Bible, what our responsibilities are to them. Now tonight, and probably for the next two weeks, I wanna talk about the younger generation, the teens and the young folks in our church who are beginning to be adults. You're growing up and there's a lot in the Bible, a lot that God has to say to you about that. But we'll put that off until next time because tonight I wanna talk about the responsibility of children to their parents. Again, it's an interesting subject, and there's a lot of information about that in the scripture, that's why we want to include it in this series, so that all of you who will one day be older adults, if the Lord tarries, you will probably have parents who are still alive, even as you have them now, and the Bible has something to say about how you relate to them what is required of you concerning them and what your responsibilities are. Now in Ephesians chapter six, somewhat of a classic verse on children and their parents, it says children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise. You do that so that from God's side it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You get two benefits from honoring your parents. You have to know what honor means, and you have to be willing to do that, but there's two ways in which God rewards children, two ways that he honors you. One, he said, it shall be well with you. The world is full of people that things don't go well for, that it really isn't well for. People who are constantly on edge, waiting for the other shoe to drop, uncertain, nervous, scared about so many things. But God said, if you will honor your parents, as the Bible says you should, he said it will be well with you and you will live long on this earth. You won't have to go through your life, fear and death. You don't tempt it either. But you don't have to worry about dying and leaving everybody behind and all of that when there's so much that you're here to do as parents and all that, he said, you honor your parents. And remember, you only get them once in life. You only get two real ones. And you honor them, and God said, it shall be well with you, and you'll live a long life. Now, that comes from basically Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, the chapter that has to do with the Ten Commandments. As I'm sure you know or hope that you know, the first four commandments have to do with man's relationship and attitude towards God. And beginning with number five, on through the end of the commandments, it has to do with man's relationship with his fellow man. In the middle of the Ten Commandments, number five is children, honor your parents that it may be not well with you, but that you'll have a long life, longevity. As far as I'm concerned, unless it's a special cause or a special reason, like with Stephen, everybody should live a long life that we should not have to fear along the way things that cause death. We should not fear that because we have provisions in this word that is offered to us that deals with all of that. We really can walk through this world without fear. Doesn't the Bible say in the Psalms that he has delivered us from all of our fears? That's a statement. That's a judicial fact, settled, sealed, signed in heaven, never pass away. It doesn't work for everybody because not everybody believes it. Not everybody lays hold of it. It's like so many other promises in the Bible. People either don't know them or they've heard it. They just don't believe it. And so they live below the level that God has for them. I don't think all children today honor their parents, and I don't think all of them, it will be well with them. I think they'll struggle their whole life just like most parents do. They'll just struggle. Bitter, always complaining, just that I'm a victim. Just all kinds of ways you struggle. But God said, you honor your parents. It'll be well with you, and you'll live a long life. The word honor in Exodus 20 and verse 12, the word honor means to place a value on, a value which commands your respect, something that is so important to you that you respect it. You don't want to tarnish it. You don't want to hurt it. You don't want to do anything with it. It means to treat or regard with honor or respect. In that way, God wants us to honor our parents. Now, like so many of us who have lost our parents, as I look back on the days when I did have both parents or even just one parent, I wish I had done a lot of things that I had not done because it seemed like I was always too busy to stop and visit, stay a while, and they wanted me to. When you get older and you're not busy anymore, you're not active, you're not going all the time, and that age saying begins to settle on you, your, your life changes, it really does. It begins to change. And parents put a lot of value on the companionship of their children. They do want to see them, they do want to talk to them. Nobody is closer to parents than children. And so many times we're just too busy. Life is passing by and we don't see their need for us and we just assume, oh, you know, they're they're all right. And we go on. It's an honorable person who recognizes, you know, my parents would like to talk to me. I know they would and I'm going to stop what I'm doing and just spend a little time, sit down and drink a cup of coffee or tea or just sit down and talk, sit on the porch and talk to them or go to town and get a cup of coffee with my dad or something. And we don't realize how much that helps them along at a difficult time in their life. Because the Bible will describe tonight that the aging process is not fun. Now, it doesn't have to be dreadful either. But for so many, it's a time of difficulty. Because you know your life is winding down. You know your days are numbered. You know you won't live forever. Nobody does. You know the day of death is just down the road. You don't know, but you know that the older you get, the closer you're getting, obviously. What a statement. The older you get, the closer you're getting, which is true. But concerning this business of honoring your parents, you have two things said You can honor your parents, or you can die early. You get life or death. Now, if you would turn to Exodus, I'd like you to look in chapter 21, the chapter right after the Ten Commandments, and here's something that it says there about, well, somebody who won't live long. Exodus 21 and verse 15, and he that smiteth his father or mother shall be surely put to death. Why would anybody do that? Yet it happens a lot. I, like you, have read too many articles in the paper, heard too many news things, and too many times in which parents are mistreated by their children. In this case, smitten, or a father and a son gets in a fight and the son shoots the father or vice versa. It's a dysfunctional relationship. Something is really wrong there, but it happens all the time. But here's what God says about it. If you smite your father, you'll be put to death. You can't live long because that's the kind of value that God puts on your relationship with your parents. In the New Testament, twice. In Romans chapter one and verse 30, it speaks about traits of people who don't know God, and one of those traits is disobedient to parents, Romans 1.30. It says that they will be disobedient to their parents. In 2 Timothy chapter three and verse two, it gives a list of the signs of the end times, the way things are going to begin appearing as the way people are doing things, heady, high-minded, and all that. One of those things is, again, disobedient to parents. It means children will have a disregard for what their parents say or what their parents want or how their parents feel about whatever they're doing. They really don't care because so much today is all about me. It's all about me, mine, mine, us four, no more. They don't want anybody to disrupt their freedom to go sin and fool around and hang around. They don't want any restraints and any restrictions. And whether a lot of you youngsters realize it or not, your parents are usually smarter than you are. They probably wouldn't take tests like you would in school, but they've lived long enough to know a whole lot more about life than you do. And a lot of times we as parents, and I am one, we can see the direction that a generation is going. And we know as Christians that the end of that generation is judgment and death, the whole bunch. And we don't want our children to be like that because they'll be judged along with them. So we tend to want to give them better advice. And we warn them, you shouldn't do that. You should stay away from that place. There's no good. And children really get mad about that. I don't like people telling me what to do. I don't want I'm my own. I'm my own man. And it really does grieve parents because, you know, you can't do anything about it. The things that probably could have been done should have been done a long time before it ever came to that kind of a confrontation. But the Bible tells us that in the last days are people going to be disobedient to parents, disrespectful of parents, and so on and so forth. In fact, speaking of that generation, would you go to Proverbs 30, next to the last chapter in Proverbs And look with me, beginning in verse 11. There is a generation. In other words, there is a time coming. There is a time in which a group, a generation, a conglomeration. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. Now, the word curseth here means to lightly esteem, place little value on. In other words, have a whole lot of real indifference to what they need, who they are, what they've done. You know, they're just parents. You just wish that they would stay out of my space and I'll try to stay out of theirs. He said, well, there is a generation that is coming that curseth. That's what that word curseth here means. Curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. They go to church. Don't they say, I'm good enough? I'm as good as the next person? They do that, don't they? They do. And yet they're not washed from their own filthiness. Verse 13, there is a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. That's pride. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords. Their words, their mouths and their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from amongst men. There is a generation coming that has turned so far away from God, I don't know if what we read here that can be turned back. But there was a time, and I believe this, there was a time had the right things been said or done in their life, this could have been prevented. But when the parents set their teeth on the world and begin to allow their kids all these unnecessary freedoms to do things, watch stuff, go places and do things they shouldn't do, the whole generation will be judged along with those parents. Every child that God gave us is a gift. God expects us to do our part in applying his word to our children so that they can become godly seed and when he calls them, they will respond to him and serve him. And on the contrary today, a lot of kids at 15 years old, they don't see it at home. They're not convicted by anything they see at home and their parents know where they want what their parents have. They see a lot of hypocrisy and inconsistencies in the church, and so they turn away from it. And God will judge more than we've ever thought of it. God's going to hold a whole lot of people accountable. I suspect one day, I don't know how it will be, and you don't either, but when eternity comes and the great judgment is there, time ceases. There's no more time. Nobody can be weary or tired anymore. A lot of children are about to face eternal judgment. And they look at their parents and say, why didn't you warn me about this place? Why didn't you do whatever you had to do to keep me out of this place? Now I can't get out of it. What a terrible thing for parents to have to live with, but... God holds us as parents to take seriously the raising of the children he gives us to serve the Lord. I think sometimes as a preacher, the reason you get so (sighs) with this thing is because you see it coming. A lot of youngsters are not going to turn to the Lord. They'll get further and further away, and then they'll go to college. And most, not all, thank God there's a few exceptions. They'll go to college and they'll learn, they'll get in stuff that they most of them never get out of. I've seen way too many kids go off to college and they never come back. They visit, but they're not there anymore. There's nobody home. Something has replaced divine principles have been replaced by a humanism and a worldly view, and, all, and it's all turned. It's, it's all changed, because that's out there in the world. But he said there is a generation that curses their parents. They're trivial, slight with their parents, not really that concerned or even respectful of their parents. But in Deuteronomy 27, he speaks of another curse. The word curse there means different than trivial. For in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 16, he said, cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. The Bible describes many ways how curses come on people. I'll give you a definition of what a curse is in just a moment. But when a curse comes, there is a bondage that comes with it. Like this word in Deuteronomy 27, 16, the word curse means to bind like with a spell. Then I saw this in the definition and I thought, my my my. It means to render powerless to resist. Now you think of that. To render powerless to resist. Now if the devil is meant by resistance and you wouldn't resist God, and there's only two forces in this life, there's God and the devil. To be rendered powerless. To resist, it means that you are unable to prevent the things the devil is doing and wants to do in your life. And his goal is threefold, to kill and to steal and destroy. I'm talking about a curse here, and this is one way that a curse can come, to render powerless. Is that why so many things just keep on happening in people's lives? the same old weaknesses we had 20 years ago are still prevalent. The same faults and failures that we pled with God about 20 years ago are still dominating our lives or dominating lives. Is the reason that so many people in the church are not escaping this bondage and this binding that the devil brings is because they're cursed? It is one of the reasons you can be cursed because you're not like you remember Malachi, we're familiar with that one. Cursed is the man that does not honor the Lord with the substance of his increase. You remember that? Most people, I don't think they think a curse could happen to them because look, I go to church, I raise my hands, I've been filled with the spirit, I speak in tongues, etc. 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 So I must be all right, as though this is what keeps you from coming under a curse. Yet the Bible says you can be cursed because of your relationship with your parents. Your attitude towards your parents can bring a curse on your life. Again, he said, cursed be the man that setteth light. Setteth light means to be lightly esteemed, to put little or no value on your parents, and the subsequent way you treat them and act towards them, it just means to belittle or to shame your parents. Maybe to be rude in your behavior with your parents. This is an age in which this is pretty prevalent. Again, I've seen kids in malls sass their parents, just openly shut up. I've heard kids tell their parents, shut up. You know, out in public, that's a terrible, they know they can get by with it in public. Because if you deal with one in public the way you would like to, the way you feel like doing, you'll get a visit from the department that takes your kids away from you. The devil knows how to provoke. He knows how to do things like that. But you know, that should never come to that. It shouldn't. And it does, but it shouldn't. But he said, cursed is the man that setteth light by his father or his mom. And I is taken by this thing today about to render powerless to resist. Powerless to resist. You can't stop the devil. You can't rebuke him. Maybe that's why. Christians, charismatic, so-called charismatic Christians talk about sickness and disease so much. I think they're finally giving up on resisting that and just learn to live with it and hope for the best. And yet it shouldn't be like that at all. Whatever the devil is doing, Jesus said this and I'll say it too. Satan has no place in me. If he has no place in me, then I'm off limits to him. Now he can attack and try. I'll have to prove myself But he knows this, that if I resist him, what will he do? You resist the devil, he will flee from you. That belongs to you. But a lot of people don't resist. Again, and when one verse, just one verse, it goes back to how they feel about their parents, how they treat their parents, lightly esteemed, indifferent to them. How about another verse? I know we're jumping around here a little bit, but I want you to see this, 2 Peter chapter 2. Rather than just try to quote it, I want you to see it because it deals with a curse. Another look at curses here. And maybe this is why what I'm about to read has happened to a lot of people. 2 Peter 2 and verse 14. Maybe this is why it happens. This is a kind of wickedness that will be in the church area or in the church in the last days, maybe in the leaders. It says having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. Why? Because they can't resist it. They cannot cease from sin, from wrongdoing. They are given to lust and they can't stop it, or drugs and they can't stay away from. Their excuse "I just can't help it. I've just got to have it." I remember talking to a drug addict once and. And he said there's two things he said he could not stop doing. One was drugs, and secondly, when he did drugs, he had to listen to rock music. He said they go together. And when I get my music, I want my drugs. When I get my drugs, I want my music. And they had this wild, crazy music that bounces their brain around because something takes over, and you can't resist it. And you become the dwelling place place of the devil well like he said here what does it say in verse 14 he says having eyes full of adultery we read about it all the time and they cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls a heart they have exercised with covetous practices what the last two words cursed children Now notice, these are men who are obviously eyes full of adultery, cannot see some sin. Those who are able to influence or beguile or corrupt other people. So we're not talking here about children, but they're called cursed children because I think it implies that from a child, they have been cursed. And this is the way they grew up. They learn enough about God and social properness to get by and do those things and be like everybody else, but they are driven with a sin-laden way of life they cannot get away from because they are cursed. They're cursed, cursed children. They go to the altar, they try to pray, or they get all guilty about something, they start praying, oh, we got to try hard, We do, and they can't change anything. They need deliverance, but they don't know what deliverance is. They don't know what specifically to be delivered from because without a revelation from God, you're just aiming at the dark. You can just say, I want to be delivered. Sometimes you have to get specific. Jesus often asked demons, what is your name? That's pretty specific. What is your name? You come out of him or he came out of her, that type of thing. So these devils know if they can get your precious little children when they're little, they will. And when they get those little children, they begin to corrupt their mindsets. And they begin to teach them, you should be your own person, your own boss. And if you don't get what you want, complain and cry. Throw a fit. Just keep doing that, and finally, you'll be able to exercise witchcraft over your parents and begin to control them. Then all you have to do to make them upset is just do this or do that. Or all you have to do in public is just throw a fit because they can't do nothing about it, and you can just wear your parents out. You may get spanked when you get home, but look, you're in control in other ways. And kids do do that. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think a spirit of witchcraft and control comes from? It comes from the devil. How was he able to do that? Because we didn't recognize it as parents, and we let it go, or we thought it was cute. Whenever they want something, they cry or throw a fit. Whenever they want to go somewhere, they go, and they do all these things, and we just give in to them. When they get older, we go in debt to buy them cars and houses because we just want you to have everything because we felt like such lousy parents that if we can give you what you want, then maybe we will be better parents. It's a demonic game. The whole thing is demonic. But it happens, and it's part of a curse. Now, my parents, your parents, and nobody else's parents were ever perfect. I love my mother. I love my father. I especially love them. I realize how much more I love them than I ever showed them after they were gone when I could no longer talk to them. I realized the first time after my mother had died back in 99, when I went into the house the first time alone, and I remembered for the 16 or 18 years we lived in that house, there was a memory in every place, every room, every part of a room, a conversation, a funny event, your bedroom, that other little bedroom, and just so many Things and you're being still and, and you're waiting to hear that voice. You don't hear it anymore because she's gone. You knew there's something in your life is gone. And then you realize, you know, I wish you were here. I'd like to talk to you again at least just one more time. But it's too late. Then I realized, you know, I think I could have done better as a child than I did. And I hope God will not hold that against me. I remember many times my dad, he grew old real fast. He didn't last long. He died in his 60s. He just wore completely out. And I wonder how many times I wish I'd just gone by pick him up on a Saturday and go down to the service station sit down there where everybody hung out and just laugh and talk. But I didn't. But I wish I had him because I can't now. But I would like to have bonded even more so than I did. You know, mother bonds with her child, whether a child bonds with her or not. But I wish I had done better as a child. I know, again, that both of my parents were imperfect. And I laugh at some of their traits now, but I realize they're not a laughing matter when it comes to Judgment Day. Even though they weren't perfect, we as parents, we grieve over the mistakes and the failures of our children. When you make mistakes, you go the wrong way, you do the wrong thing. Even though you didn't get caught, it grieves us because it's another reminder that we're not doing our job right. And it's nobody's fault. Nobody else can be blamed for not doing a better job than parents. We could have done this better. But we take for granted, you know, we're taking you to church. We're putting you in the church atmosphere, therefore. Or we go on a youth rally, oh, this will be good, therefore. And we want something good to come from something else we never really wanted to work hard at bringing Christ into the environment of our home and making our children understand how much we really want you to do well in life. We want you to grow up and have good people skills and good work ethics, but we really want you to be saved. I don't know if I told all of them. I've said to one or two of them every now and then or through their lifetime that, you know, I don't care if you're rich and famous, ugly or whatever you are. I just want you to go to heaven. Because there's no greater end of life than heaven. And there's no greater tragedy than hell. Heaven you can make, it's not easy, but it's possible, it's there. Hell is the easiest place to go. It requires no effort whatsoever. You don't have to try, you don't have to work at it, you just go automatically. If you want to escape, you really have to apply yourself. You have to see how badly you want it, and then you have to live for it. Otherwise, you give in to the situation, you give in to your weaknesses, and you, you let go. But a dishonorable child, when you have one, it really grieves you. You fret over it. I do. I have. I hope I don't ever again. But I know how it feels. I know how my mother and dad must have, or my mother, my dad wasn't so concerned as my mother was, used to come home at night way too late or way too early. And my mother would be asleep on the couch. Many times I would get in, man, go to bed, woman. You know, I couldn't hardly get across the room. And she'd wake up halfway across the room. It's about time you got home, oh. And it was. It should never have come to that, but it did. And I realize now, see, I'm looking back now, and I think, my mother probably, she might have said a prayer before she went to bed on that couch, but she couldn't rest until I was home because she didn't know where I was. She didn't know what I was doing. She probably imagined. But I just realized how much my mother loved me, my parents my dad did, too. Later on in life, we worked together. I worked for him one summer. One of the best times I had is growing up. And I realized that I could have done better. Now, I've been forgiven, of course, because I've seen all what I'm telling you. And I have repented and asked God to forgive me of all of this. I'm sure he has. And there's not a curse on my life. My wife and I are not cursed, so I know that God's forgiven me. I could have done better. I suspect a lot of you young people could do better yourselves. If you still have parents that are alive, I think it'd be good just to go visit them. And don't say, Brother Hamilton told me to come. You got to go on your own. Just to be able to say while they're alive, I want you to know that I appreciate all that you've done. One night, Bonnie and I had just gotten in bed and we heard a knock on our door and one of our youngsters came in the room said, can I talk to you? And I'm thinking, oh, no, not another one. Oh, God, I quit. I quit. I sat on the edge of the bed, and I said, I'm going to quit. And this youngster sat on the bed and said, I just want to thank you all for raising me and for giving me all this, you know, and helping me out, and I don't deserve it, and you've done and I thought, get out of my room. You know. <laughs> I thought, well, that is good. That is good. But I think you come to that realization one day. If you do in this life, you're blessed. Young folks, you're really blessed. Nobody will ever love you more than your parents, not your wife, not your children. Nobody will ever love you more than the woman and the man who brought you into this world. Now, not everybody obviously knows all the details of that, I did. And I know that nobody loved me more than my imperfect mom. I know the example that they set for me in the home was not always the best, and I know that wasn't good, and I know I learned a lot of things there that I shouldn't have done, but it was my example. I've seen my parents argue in front of me. I've heard them talk about other people in front of me. I've heard bad language. I heard bad language my whole life. I mean, I heard it all my life. It was like saying hello. But they did that in front of me, and so it was no surprise to them. As I grew older, I talked the same way they did. So I had imperfect parents and I'm sure that you all do too. So don't complain about them too much because if you look at yourself with the light you have now, what God has taught you the last few years, that we have no excuse either. You don't either because it can be better with you now. I don't care how bad it was. You might've been a victim one time, but with the light that God gives, you're not a victim anymore. You can be released and delivered. You can walk truly as the Bible says in newness of life we do as parents we feel bad when we make mistakes we feel bad when we miss it i know my parents did i know my mother must have cried a lot of times i have wept myself because of things that have happened i wish had never happened when you have a child that won't mind it makes your life worse then you feel worse about what you've done it really lays on your heart adds to your sorrow makes your job as a parent harder because now you don't know what to do and you try real hard to do anything you can to make your child love you, I don't know if that ever works. I don't think giving money makes it work better. I just think that you're being robbed of your joy by bad parenting, and it makes us as parents less than what you as children deserve. We want you to have two good parents who are meshing together into one good parent. Same message, same example, standing together with your interest in their mind, praying for you every day. What a pleasure it is every day to approach the Lord and say, I wanna thank you for my children. I ask you to bless each one of them and their children. I can't mention them all by name. I'm not sure I remember all the grandkids' names, but I got so many of them, but I do. I know their first name. And I ask God to bless my children. And I believe that in the course of time, anything that's not right will be made right. Anything that's not straight will be made straight. I do not believe that prayer is an aimless exercise with God. I think when you have faith in God and you know how to release your faith, you approach God according to his will and you begin to pray for your children. God bless them. Now, back to your obligation. What is your responsibility as children in taking care of your parents? How many of you believe that young parents will eventually become older parents and could possibly become old parents. Is that possible? Or do parents just stay 30 their whole life? (laughs) Ask Bonnie, they don't. But anyway, what is the biblical responsibility of your parents in the future, in old age? What should we do? Well, there's a story in the Bible in Mark chapter 7 when Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees for their putting their traditions, the traditions of the elders, above the word of God, the written word. See, there was a written word, and then there was a spoken word, which is traditions passed on and altered, no doubt. And one of the traditions that they had was that if you had money with which... Or resources with which you could help your parents, obviously implying there comes a time they might need it. They obviously don't need it when they're raising you because you couldn't do anything about it. But in the context, there may be a time in their life in which they're no longer able to meet their needs like they used to after raising you and now that you're grown and you've got the resources for which you could help them. But according to your traditions, you can dedicate all your money to God and call it Corban. It's dedicated to God. And therefore, you say to your parents, well, that which I have, which I can help you with, is Corban. And Jesus said, you have by your traditions, remember Matthew 15, he says something similar, you have by your traditions made the word of God a no effect. Now, implied in Mark 7, again, is that one day your parents may need you to help or assist them financially or otherwise. And I know this, that no parent, none of us, none of us ever, ever, ever wants to be a burden on our children. Never. To me, ideally, you come to the place where it's time to go, you know it's time to go, and you go. And you don't hang around and linger, you just go. And when you go, they don't have to sort through all the, well, you know, it's, we just watched them go. You just go. And you leave clear what you want to do with your money. I said, I want this side to fight this side out in the parking lot. And whichever side wins gets everything. Because how many kids fight and fight and fight over stuff like that? Sometimes you think, I think I'll just leave it all to somebody else so they won't fight over it. And then the Bible speaks about widows. A widow is one without her husband. Wouldn't it be? Go back a couple pages there to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home. Did you read that? Show piety, devotion, commitment, godly commitment at home. And to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now, what does that word R-E-Q-U-I-T-E mean? It means to repay, to recompense, to give back. Or in our language, we would say to help them get through whatever they're going through. They may need some help. I can tell you this, there's a lot of aging parents who live solely on their social security, and today it's very hard to get by on that. When you got like $1,200 a month coming in, that was a lot in the 50s, but not now. And sometimes, bless their hearts, because they were robbed spiritually, they either have to decide whether they're gonna buy medicines or food. Now, I don't know if you have parents that are there or not. You can't rebuke them for wanting their medicine. They don't know anything else. They've never had a reason in their whole life to turn away from the world's way to God's way. Nobody ever told them that they could. They've grown into this. They've adapted themselves to the systems of this world. The only thing they have is that. When old people get together today, it seems I'm not with them. I don't hang around them. I'm just assuming this. I don't know, but I'm just assuming that in some of these retirement homes like down in Florida or Arizona, when they move there and they get to hanging around old people, I would imagine that much of their gatherings and talk is about their sicknesses, their disease, what the doctor told them, the cost of living or Social Security, this. And that. I mean, it's all about fear. Now, if your parents are there that as Christians, what do you do about that? Do you help relieve them of that? Do you give them the assurance if they're that old that we'll do what we can? And I know that it's hard when you're raising your family and you've got your own bills to pay and your own needs to meet and to just stop what you're doing to take care of your parents. I know that's not easy. It was easier for my brother and I because we were both blessed enough to be able to do that, but we didn't have to. My mother was so well arranged that she had it all figured out. She had it all figured out. So my parents were never a burden to me. They never caused me to say, man, I got to go over there. Oh, man. Never had to go through that. But I know that it happens to a lot of people, and perhaps God lays it up on our hearts as Christians to see that we should help them out. If you have a lot of uh, kids, and I do. See, I have no problem. I've got it made. (laughs) You got seven kids, and we got big families here, so I think we've all got it made. All we have to do is pray for the success of our children so that they can all do well. And then that way they can take care of you. But as I said, mine won't ever have to do that with me or their mother. God will take care of us. Now, care, though, might go into something beyond money. Have you know that when the aging process is taking place, that you not only become older and you not only... Appear older and look older if you don't think you do look at an old photograph when you graduate from high school and then admit The aging process is working you realize Sometimes as youngsters we all do we look at our parents and we say they're getting older Sometimes we call them the old folks who are getting older Yeah, you know, I've watched dad kind of shuffle. You know, he's not spry like he used to be well No, you're not because you're getting older Your strength is not what it used to be. Your muscles become smaller. Your skin becomes ugly. (laughs) You get them little brown spots every now and then on your hand. And just a little reminder of what sin did to mankind. We die in this world because of sin. Sin brought death. And our bodies, which came from the dust of the earth, will eventually go back to the dust unless Jesus comes while we're alive. But while we're here, this body gives way to a timeless process called aging. And we do get older. And we get weaker. We get slower. Sometimes it's harder to hear. It doesn't have to be. But sometimes it is harder to hear. And sometimes it's harder to see. I've watched a lot of people who don't want to ever have problems seeing. And you know they can't see. I don't see as well as I used to. But I'm not as young as I used to be. And when I study, I have to wear glasses. They're on a dollar a pair at the Dollar Tree. I've got them in every drawer, I think, but I don't wear them out here because I don't want to. Uh, someday I might have to, but I really don't want to. I really, really and truly don't. So you just get a Bible that's as big as a family Bible, and you carry that around, <laughs> and you can see it easier. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm just telling you that it isn't unnatural to grow old. Are there exceptions? Of course there are exceptions. You ever heard of Caleb? Caleb was nine years older than I'm about to be and he took a mountain. He said, give me this mountain. I'm 80 years old, my strength hasn't abated. Eye hasn't dimmed, that is he's gotten getting older and harder to see. And he was pretty active like, as an 80-year-old man. Joshua was 80 years old when they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. God used 80-year-old men then. They obviously were energetic enough to go do the things that needed to be done and they didn't have to be carried around all the time on some chair. But sometime when you do grow old, even the most active men amongst us or the most active woman, those who like to be busy all the time and hike and run and so on and so forth, they come to where they probably need assistance, where they might need somebody to come and get them. I know it happens, it's tragic, but You get older and your judgment's not as good as it used to be. A tragic story down in Florida many years back when my father-in-law lived there, Bonnie's dad, a fellow came to the stoplight, an older person. There's a lot of older people in Florida. And, of course, the younger person behind him was just busy and blew the horn and, you know, instead of hitting the brake or something, they hit the gas, ran across the street through a hedge and into a swimming pool and killed a couple of people. You say, well, that's crazy how to get off the road. You're probably right. They should get off the road. You know, your body's changing. Your body actually is dying. It's just getting older and it's about to go. Bonnie's dad gave up driving, I think, oh, eight or nine years before. He died at age 99. So, I mean, he drove up until he was about 90. But then he realized that I'm not safe anymore on the road. I still know how to turn. I still know how to steer. I know where everything is. His mind was good. But he couldn't trust his abilities anymore. Why? Because he's older. That happens to a lot of people. You say, well, it won't happen to me in the name of Jesus. Well, maybe it won't. But if you're 90 years old and you can still run around the block and climb hills and, and go shopping all day and shop, you drop, you're a good person. <laughs> you have really been blessed. I find your desires change. You don't mind sitting on the porch. You don't mind enjoying the things you bypass just watching the birds at the bird feeder. Oh, <laughs> how boring is that? It might not be as boring as you think because you don't want to run around racing around town and running like a chicken with the head cut off, though I feel like I do it all the time now anyway. Listen to this. Let me read this to you. Psalm 71, 9 says, Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. So the Bible tells us that our strength will fail turn to Ecclesiastes 12. Let me show you some things that plague old people. Ecclesiastes 12 is about the aged, those that are old, and the fears that older people have. It's not a crime. It's not a sin to be old. You can't help that. You can take care of yourself and do all the right things and eat right and live healthy, and but you cannot stop the aging process. A lot of older people, you might realize it if you're around them, they have a fear of falling, and the reason they have a fear of falling is because they no longer have the strength in their arms to catch their fall because their bones are brittle. That's all changed, and a lot of times they just fall down like that and break a bone. There's a weakness that comes. They can't do push-ups anymore, and they can't do all the things they used to do. and They can't jump off of heights and land on their legs because their legs aren't strong anymore. There's a natural weakness that comes. Be a wise young person and see that and help them through life to enjoy the last part of their life and not be brought down low. Ecclesiastes 12, he speaks of aging here. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not. While the evil days come not. What do you reckon evil days are? Well, let me give you another story. In 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 33, David is leaving Jerusalem. He's being run off. As he's going out of the city with his band of men, he sees an old man named Barzillai. He says, Barzillai, come and go with me, and you can stay with me. And this is what the old man said, and this really tells us what it's all about. And Barzillai said unto the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king into Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old, and can I discern between good and evil is judgment? Can thy servant taste what I eat? Now, I haven't had that problem. They say you start with crackers and end with crackers. I was jokingly said that to my wife and I got rebuked again for that. Y'all need to pray for me. But she didn't rebuke me. She said, well, I rebuke that. I said, well, I do too. I do, we both rebuke it. But he said, can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Why should thy servant yet be a burden unto the Lord the King? Because that sometimes is the way, and I did, we often look at parents and their needs and the different change of pace. Man, I'm busy. I want, you know, let's go. My mother said one time about fixing her watch and I was in my, 30s or 20s. She said, can you see that? And I said, well, yeah, I can see that. Of course I can see that. My eyes are perfect. And they were. Then I get older and I think, I'd like to tell what time it is, you know, (laughs) sometimes. I can, but I'm making a story. But so this evil days idea probably comes from the realization, having seen it himself, of how it is when you get older and everything changes its pace, food hearing, seeing, tasting. Again, I don't think it has to be like that, but the Bible describes that as a common experience. Let me go back to Ecclesiastes 12 now. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. All I do is sit on the porch. Anyway, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out the windows be darkened. It's just the aging process. You can't do what you used to do. You can't do the jobs you used to do. You need help now. You need to surrender that and things have just changed. Verse 4, and the door shall be shut in the street when the sound of the grinding is low. You can't hear as well. And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. It's hard to hear those songs. Also, they shall be afraid of that which is high, or heights. They shall be afraid of heights. Why? Because they're afraid they will fall. Why would they be afraid they fall? Because they don't have the strength anymore to just fall down and catch themselves. They don't. And fears shall be in the way. There are fears. What would I do if my wife or my husband wasn't here? What would I do? What would we do if the government didn't give us our check? What would we do if this house caught on fire ours slow as ours well? slows? How we get out of here? What would we do if? You think we don't have to think that we we don't have to, you're right, but people do. And the almond trees shall flourish and the grasshopper shall be a burden and desire shall fail. There's a lot of things you used to do you can't do anymore because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about in the street. The long home is your eternal home. And when that goes, the people who knew you and loved you will mourn because you're gone. But here's a description in the first five verses of the aging process. and verse six, or ever the silver cord be loose or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. Now, most commentators seem to think this describes the parts of your body, the bowl being your brain and this and all these things that used to be such strengths and vital parts of your body have ceased to be or are they broken? And when that happens, verse 7, thus shall the dust, we hear this at funerals all the time, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. That's death. And preceding death, a natural aging death, you find these traits. Now, I would suggest to all of you that we realize that one day, all of us, if the Lord tarries, all of us will be older. We will be aged. We won't get to see all of our grandchildren. The baby, we probably won't get to see them grow up and marry. I've claimed I will. If they keep having them, I'm going to be here until I'm about 100. I do. I want to stick around. I don't have any desire to just stay here and linger in me and be in everybody's way. But I do want to see all my grandkids grow up and do well and want them all to go to heaven. My grandchildren and my children. But we need to realize that when you have aging parents, that they may need assistance and they may need help. You know, Daddy may be proud. I don't need anything. But they do. They do every now and then. You want to take that to heart because that's one way you honor your parents. You're thinking about how you can help them, be of assistance to them, make their life a little easier or bring a little joy or enjoyment into their life or bring some peace and joy or encouragement to their life. You might be surprised how many Parents in nursing homes never get visited by their children. And they get mistreated and shoved around. There's nobody that cares. I don't know who their parents would be or their children would be, but they really do have disrespect and dishonor for their parents. Your parents will always be in your life. As long as they're alive, they're going to be there, and you have to deal with that. They're going to need you. So don't complain or fret about, well, I got to go over there. Well, you know, old, and I just sit around and talk. Dad keeps repeating himself and telling the same story twice. No, he doesn't either. And, they, you know, I just, oh, man. Listen at this verse of Scripture in Proverbs 23 and verse 33. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. So I'm glad they're both there. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee. Listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. And despise not thy mother when she is old. Now, let me close with a question. How much have your parents done for you? I mean, I don't want all you young folks to speak out. Some of you might be sitting here very selfish, thinking, he ain't never done nothing for me. I ain't got anything. And you're missing the whole point. They brought you into the world. If you had asked to be brought into this world the way you have turned out, they'd probably say no. But you're here. You might not be grateful. You might not be thankful. Your parents might not have taken you serious. I don't care what mistakes any of us have made. We're here right now with truth being presented to us about this. All that's wrong can change. There's nothing the devil has done that God cannot undo. It can all be fixed. Amen. So, when you realize how much your parents have given you, my mother worked one year at a census bureau, a job she said she hated, but she was good with numbers and orderly. and She was all of that. And she worked one whole year to put me through college when I lost my scholarship. Had a lung operation, and they, they wouldn't let me play ball anymore. She worked all that time to send me to college, pay all the tuition, and send me ten dollars a week to boot. Now, that's a lot of money back in the fifties. It really was. You ten dollars? That's just a Big man. That was a lot of money then. And she sent that to me every week, and I was not very thankful. Sometimes I wish, why couldn't I get more? I want a car. They even bought me a nice fifty-one Chevy Powerglide. <laughs> See, I have owned a Chevy, a fifty-one Powerglide, and I went through college. I took Bonnie out to get a Coke once in my old Chevrolet. And they bought me that. I remember I came home once, and I, this is the truth. This is how bad I was. I said, well, we got a little surprise for it. I thought, oh, man, I hope it's a 57. <laughs> my neighbor across the street, on I used to watch that thing back out, and they'd it going up the road. he go, "Whoa!" It wouldn't go any faster. It just made a lot of noise. And they said, we bought you that car. And I remember... Saying, oh, thank you. But on the inside, I was going, I don't want that thing. I want a V8. But it worked. It worked. Maybe you don't know, but your parents do a lot for you. They sometimes try to fix the meal you like the best because you're not getting along well at home, and they want you happy. But I'd advise all your parents: don't give in to sin. Don't spoil them. Don't make them think you're trying to gain their love. But a lot of times we do. Spend money for education, give kids a lot of things because we want them to do well in life. We give them everything but the hope of salvation. The only thing that's necessary, the one thing that parents should give their children, the easiest, freest thing they have is the word of God. Remember Ephesians 6, 3, where we started, he said that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on this earth. It all goes back to how you relate to your imperfect parents. Amen.